Uh, Good Housekeeping is a magazine that's been around since 1870-something. And in 1900, they decided that the products that they would advertise, they wanted to uh, make sure that they were indeed what they were advertising. So they created some labs. And ever since then, they have given their stamp of approval or not to certain products so that Good Housekeeping seal of approval uh, means something to a lot of people. But you know what? We live in a world now where everybody wants things to be certified. Uh, I bought a used pickup truck in Dixon about a year ago, and uh, they, they advertised that I could have it certified if I was willing to spend another $1,000 on it. Uh, I didn't do that. But we're all looking for something that is certified. Even houses can be certified now. And I'm not sure what all of that means, but uh, professionals, there are so many certifications. If you would go to Wikipedia and look up certifications, there are thousands of them for people, for professionals. Uh, the list is virtually endless. Just a couple of them that caught my attention. A board-certified criminal defense investigator. We used to call that a detective. Um, a certified master anti-terrorism specialist. We used to call that a soldier. Uh, a certified fire protection specialist. Fireman, right? Um, certified youth development specialist. That's a parent. Uh, national board certified teacher. Used to be simply a teacher. But that's the world that we live in. Everybody talks about certifications. And we do the same thing in the world of ministry, in the world of religion, in the world of church. Uh, I looked up, and well, Wiki listed them, and there weren't very many there, but here's what they were. Um, there is a doctor of divinity. Um, you know, divinity is a big word. It talks about God, so that's like a Doctor of God, that's pretty impressive. Uh, doctor of theology, theos is God, the study of God, so a doctor of the study of God, a doctor of ministry, a master of theology, master of divinity, master of theological studies. Uh, I have none of those certifications, by the way. And, and all of those you were in the scriptures called pastor or teacher. Pastor or teacher. And... Uh, there's also in, in church ministry a certified church business administrator. We call that Jill or Missy in the, in, at the Village Bible Church, right? That's just about it. So I like the definition of certifiable from the 1912 Medical Journal. So deranged as to be certifiably insane. <laughs> that matches my qualifications uh, a little better. The Apostle Paul, after describing the makeup of a healthy church, which Phil did for us last week, and he did it well, he goes on to describe what motivates and certifies those who preach God's message. So as I looked at this message, and Phil looked at it as well, we recognize that it, it's very convicting for pastors and for ministers and for elders 
and teachers. But I don't want you to think that this message does not apply to you as well. In fact, uh, I know that it does, and I think you'll realize that as you hear the message. Because all of us serve God in one way or another, and we, we hopefully uh, are giving his message in one way or another, because we're all gifted with gifts from the Lord. And so uh, he, he addresses ministers, Paul does, and God does in here, but he's addressing all of us. And so I want you, as you think about this, to think about, okay, do my pastors and elders meet these qualifications? But if you stop there and don't think about how does this apply to me, you will have missed what God has for all of us this morning, hopefully through the Holy Spirit. So let the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart and apply this message to your life. I'd like you to stand with me and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And I'd ask you to follow along. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. It's a, a title here, Paul's Ministry to the Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you will teach us and challenge us through your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to see this morning that the basis for our appeal, and that's what Paul's talking about, he says the basis for our appeal, in other words, for our preaching of the message of the gospel, is uh, our ministry to you that he's talking about. It's God's approval. That's the basis for our appeal. God's approval. God's sanctioning. 
God's certification, if you will. That's the certification that preachers of the gospel need to have, people that minister the gospel. God's certification. Uh, I want to read verse 4 from our text, but not from the uh, English Standard Version. I want to read it from an easy-to-read version. So just listen to this for a moment. It makes it very clear. Paul says, no, we didn't do all these other things. He says, we did it. We made this appeal. We brought the message and the ministry of the gospel. Here it goes. Because God is the one who gave us this work. And this was only after he tested us and saw that we could be trusted to do it. So when we speak, we are only trying to please God. So that's what's behind ministry. It's God's certification. He's the, the source. <laughs> uh, the, it's really the crux of the message today. If we miss this part of the message, we will miss the whole thing, that God is the source, the basis for how we make the, our appeal and what the appeal is. So this certification that God gives to ministers of the gospel, and, and that's all of us in, in a certain sense, this certification comes after, it says, after testing and, and uh, trying us. Uh, it's only given to those who have proven themselves. So I've had to think about that. What does that mean, you know, that God only gives us this kind of a ministry if we prove ourselves? Uh, I thought about Captain Solenberger. Do you remember the name? Captain Solenberger. <laughs> In an emergency, he safely landed a passenger airplane on the Hudson River. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing what he did? And, and those passengers and their, and their families and, and the nation, really, they're forever grateful for Captain Solenberger, but not only for that, but for the training that he had, for the testing that he'd had in all those hours and hours in an airplane and his experience, and his certification. And, and, and think about that. We would want that in a pilot. Um, when I was in Vietnam, we had a two-seat airplane. I'm in the back seat. I'm not a pilot. The pilot says, I'm going to go to sleep, take over the controls. That made me nervous. <laughs> I had no certification, no experience, no qualification. He gave me five minutes in, of instruction, and then I flew it, and then he went to sleep, and then I woke him up when it was time to land. That's not the kind of pilot that I want. You know, and when you think about the ministry, we need to be very careful about who we allow to be put into the ministry. The Bible tells us it should, it should never be a novice. It shouldn't be uh, someone that's brand new Christian. In fact, to put a brand new Christian into ministry is a dangerous thing. Often in prison ministry, uh, people want to make celebrities sometimes out of prisoners because of the amazing thing that God has done in their lives. And then they put them up on the podium, and that sets them up for a big fall. God's word says, not a novice. Uh, they need to have experienced and been tried and tested over a period of time. And the Bible tells us to pick people who are above reproach. So that's what uh, God is talking about when it comes to ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ being tested and proved in order to get God's certification. 
So I want to tell us six things this morning, and it looks like a long outline. My wife says, oh, when the outlines are that long, it's dangerous. But it's going to go quickly this morning. There's six quick points, and you can fill in as we go. The first thing, and these are some things that uh, go along with the, this basis, that God is our source. If God is our source then, and, and we're in ministry, then these things will attend. They'll, be, they'll go along with it. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that the power, in the Bible that's called dunamis, like dynamite, the power of God, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, and I pray today that the Holy Spirit would speak through this message, the power of God is our source. It's the certification of our boldness. Paul talks about in those first three verses that we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in your midst. That comes from God if we have real boldness. He is the source. Um, He says that in spite of suffering and shameful treatment and conflict, you remember what happened to Paul and Silas and Timothy back in uh, Philippi? They'd been beaten and and tossed out of town and uh, they suffered, but And you know what? If you're going to minister the gospel, you should expect some suffering in your life. You know, people don't like to hear that. But if you minister the gospel at any level, in your family, uh, in uh, your job, you can expect sometimes to, 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 to have some suffering, some shameful treatment, and often there's conflict. So we expect that, but also expect the boldness that comes from God. And you know what? I'm going to just tell you right up front as a man that speaks to you from time to time. I don't always expect the boldness of God, and I want to expect the boldness of God. I want to have the boldness of God when I talk from this pulpit because I want to represent the Lord well. Acts 4. Turn to Acts 4 just for a minute. There's two verses I want us to see there. And I've come to these verses probably several times with you, but Acts 4 is an amazing passage where it talks about uh, Peter and John. Acts 4 and verse 13. It's talking about when people saw Peter and John. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, (laughs) they didn't have doctor in front of their name or master, they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So where do you think boldness comes from, from that sentence? Just somebody shout it out. From being what? With Jesus. If you're with the Lord, if you're trusting in God, that's where boldness comes from. It comes from being with the Lord and spending time with the Lord, time in his word, time on your knees. That's where boldness comes from. And uh, if you go to verse 29 and you say, well, man, I I don't know about that, Dave. I don't know if I can have that kind of boldness. Uh, Look at verse 29 of that chapter 4. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, the people that are around me, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Boldness. We can pray for boldness in our ministry. And we can trust the Lord to give it to us. I just attended a memorial service the other night for a friend of mine, uh, 
a younger friend of mine. He died from a brain cancer, and uh, he was a pastor, a younger pastor, and Calvin, Calvin Angler was his name. He was a really quiet young man and uh, prayerful and kind of unimposing, not, not a big man. And yet, I never got to hear him preach, but a man was given a eulogy about him, and he said there would come a point in his sermon where you could just sense the power of the Lord and the boldness of the Lord had come upon Calvin. <laughs> and Calvin, he went to a little different kind of a church than we go to. He would start jumping. He, he would literally jump when the Spirit of the Lord and the boldness came upon him. And so the man that was doing the eulogy asked all 200 of us to stand up and jump. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to ask you to do that, by the way. But we did, and it, was, it, was, it put a smile on our face, but it spoke to me that when you have the boldness of the Lord, you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can stand, and you can even jump for the Lord. And he goes on and says, in spite of our suffering, but he says, you know what, this appeal... You know, we had the boldness while we were suffering, but this appeal does not spring from, and he lists these things, it doesn't spring, our ministry of the gospel does not come from error. <laughs> and you would say, well, I hope not. But think about it. There is a lot of error in the preaching of the gospel today, in the preaching of God's message. It's all around us. And what happens is people begin to, offer their own opinions and their own musings. That means their own thoughts. And you can pick up on that when you hear certain people speak about what they think being a Christian is or, or what a Christian ought to have or, or, or what a Christian ought to be. And so we know, you and I know, I hope you know, especially here at Village Bible Church, that uh, our ministry comes from God and it comes from the Word of God. And so that's why we want you to be in the Word of God and saying, well, I'm going to be checking out what Brother Dave and Brother Phil are saying. Is this really in the Word of God? That's where it comes from. It doesn't spring from error. If I didn't have this, I couldn't preach. I'd be a fool to stand up and tell you about God without this. And so check it out. Think about that. That's where it comes from. And so... He goes on and says it does not come from impurity. <laughs> and you'll say, well, I would hope it doesn't come from impurity, which means morally impure motives and lust. But, you know, I'm not going to list names. You don't have to think very hard to realize that there are ministers that have come along that have used that power and authority to do immoral things. I heard of another one last week. And... and <laughs> We think, well, oh my goodness, look at where we are today. It's all over. Well, it was here in, in the time of Paul. There were people that used the ministry for false and impure motives. That's not where it comes from, says Paul. And he says it doesn't come from deceit. That means trickery. It's like bait and switch. I'm going to tell you, you know, you can go to heaven if you do X, Y, and Z. That's bait and switch. <laughs> uh, the, the word of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's by faith in what Jesus did on the cross that we can gain eternity, that we can walk with the Lord. We have to be careful when we listen to people. 
And that's why there needs to be amongst our leaders and all of us in the congregation accountability. We talk about accountability. Well, I am accountable to the other elders. Bill, Dan, Phil, and all the elders at all the other churches. I'm accountable to them. I'm accountable to you as a congregation. And we're accountable to one another. And we're all accountable to the Lord, to God. So God is the source. He's where boldness comes from. The second point, the heart of God, <laughs> this is where the appeal comes, the heart of God is where our bent to share the gospel comes from. Huh. Uh, I was trying to stick with the bees, but I like that word. I hope that you have a bent, a desire to share the gospel. You know, God loved us so much. This is God's heart. He loved us so much that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He made his son to become sin for us. God sent his one and only son to die for us. That's God's heart. And the question this morning, I'm just going to ask you right out. Do you have, and I have to ask myself this question, do you have a bent to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people? And if you don't, you have to ask yourself, why don't I have the heart of God in this area? Why? Paul tells us that the heart of God is a bent to share the gospel. So Paul goes on and he says, we minister to please God, not man. And now this is where it starts getting real convicting for preachers and people that are in the pulpit and people that teach. It gets really convicting here, and I'm just telling you that straight up. We minister to please God and not man. I pray that that is true every time that we're in the pulpit. I confess to you there are times when I wonder, you know, if, if somebody didn't say, oh, Dave, that was a good message, I wonder if it's been effective. And that's wrong. <laughs> I get up here and boldly proclaim the word of God whether or not you like it or think it's a good message. And that's a danger and a trap for preachers is to say, well... I'm trying to please the Lord when we're really trying to please men. I have to be careful about that. You need to be careful about that in your ministry as well. We don't seek glory from people. That's what pleasing God means, is that we don't seek glory from people, no matter what our status is. Paul says, you know, he says, even though we could have made demands, because Paul, he had all these certifications. He was well-trained. He was like a, a doctor of theology in the, with the Jews. And he said, we could have made demands, but we didn't. Because we seek glory from God, not from man. And I remember when Jesus said about the, the religious leaders, he said, many of the leaders believed on him, but they loved the glory from men more than the glory that comes from God. That's something that we, all of us, have to check and be careful about. Check my heart, check your heart. He goes on and says that our ministry, this is in verses 4 through 6, our ministry is not through flattering for personal gain. Beware people that always flatter you. <laughs> they flatter you in front of your face, and they've got a knife sometimes in their hand behind you. 
We have to be careful about that. Uh, the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. <laughs> the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Watch out when people want to flatter you all the time. <laughs> Manipulative people flatter. They often flatter for their own gain. I thought about it. Do we really want, do we really need somebody that's going to stand in front of us week after week and just tell us how wonderful we are? <laughs> you know, you're a great church, you're wonderful people. And you are. <laughs> I can say that. People here love the Lord, but that's not my role is to flatter you. My role is to speak the truth in love from God's word and represent that week after week after week. And we need to do that for one another. You need to do that with me as well. We don't need our ears tickled. <laughs> we need people who will speak the truth in love like God does. And Paul goes on and says, our ministry is not given over to greed. Well, the real motive sometimes for pleasing others and for flattering others is greed. And yeah, there's a lot of greedy ministers in this world. We have to ask ourselves, why, why do I want to tell people about Jesus Christ? Hopefully it's not out of greed. And this one can sneak up on you. It really can. <laughs> you know, I, I read a lot of articles that I'm sent about pastors, and uh, I know that a lot of pastors talk a lot about money these days. And they talk about, well, you know, we should make this a much. You know, this, the, this group makes this much. We should make this much. And, and I understand that because many, for many years, pastors probably were underpaid and all that kind of thing. But it makes me think about what are our real motives. And you know what I don't hear much anymore? Is I don't hear a lot of talk about sacrifice. I don't hear that anymore. 1 John 3.16, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. That's sacrifice. And then in Hebrews it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The life of a Christian is meant, you won't like this maybe, is meant to be a life of sacrifice. That's what it is. <laughs> okay, uh, how many of you are married? You can rate just almost everybody in here. Do you ever have to sacrifice in your marriage? Kathy, you can't say anything here now. So. Yeah, I mean, there's this thing we call compromise. What it really means is sacrifice. And if we don't sacrifice, we don't have a good marriage. And if we're, as Christians, I mean, Jesus sacrificed everything. God sacrificed his own son. The whole point of scripture is sacrifice. And so when we minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's to be done in a sacrificial manner. And you know, Paul, right at the end of this whole little part of this passage, you know what he says? He says, God is witness. God is witness. How many of you have been to court? Come on, be, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, in a trial, if you've ever been in a trial or see it on TV, uh, the witness comes in and they ask them, do you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you, God? This says, God is witness. He, you don't ask God that. 
God swears by himself. God is witness to all that we do. He look, I started out by saying he looks at our hearts, and he knows our hearts when it comes to ministry. So if you want to serve God, I don't care if you're a pastor, a teacher, you know what we need to do? We need to check our appetites and our personal ambitions at the door. That's what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Point three, the love of God. The appeals that we make because of the love of God is why Paul says we become like a nursing mother. Now, this is hard for guys. How in the world can I be a pastor and a minister that's like a nursing mother? Well, Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they came to the church at Thessalonica, they could have moved on. You know, they could have moved on and said, well, you know what, we're going to turn these people over to somebody else now. We've, we've brought them the gospel. They're, they're beginning to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. We're going to give them over to daycare. I'm just using that as an illustration. We're going to turn them over to the next group of leaders. But I love this picture. What they did is they stuck with them. And the reason they stuck with them is because of the love that God gave them for them. <laughs> they didn't turn these baby Christians over to someone else. Uh, it says that they became affectionately desirous of those people. And, you know, I can say that honestly about this group of people. I love you. I really do. And God has made me affectionately desirous of this group of people. And he's done that for Phil. That's an easy thing with this body. But here's how it breaks down. And this is where it gets convicting. He, he says, gentle like a mother with her own children. With her own children. It keeps talking about her own children. Uh, you see mother, mothers with children, and they're all great, most of them, with children. But when it comes to their own children, they're really great. <laughs> they're really great. They love their own children. So I, I love this picture that Paul says, gentle like a mother with her own children. And the picture is of a mother bird. It literally is talk like a mother bird. And you've seen a mother bird with gathering her brood under her wings. That's a beautiful picture. That's the picture that Paul is painting for the church, for the leaders of the church, or to be that kind of gentle people. So I thought about this a little bit. You know, when people think of Jesus Christ, like if you ask a Muslim, even a Hindu, and probably anybody that knows the Bible, if, if you talk about Jesus Christ, all of them will see gentleness when you talk about Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. But then I thought about when you talk about the church, the body of Christ, and the leadership of the church, do you think of gentleness? Maybe you know a couple gentle leaders, but I don't think people see that all the time. And that's convicting to me because we're to be like Jesus Christ. Most of you know that I spent uh, over 30 years working at Wheaton College in many different capacities. And so they're, they're under, you've been hearing about Wheaton College in the news, right, some of you? And there's this thing going on, and whether or not it's right or wrong, I don't want to get into all of that. But what I hope happens, and it hasn't happened yet, 
is that as the world looks in on Wheaton College and they make decisions in this, this, this event that's happening now with this teacher, I'm hoping that somewhere they'll see the gentleness of Christ in the leadership and that there might be some reconciliation and that some positive thing, some glory for God can come out of this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to make a statement about anybody. There's a room on both sides of this issue for gentleness and reconciliation. But do people think about that when they see the church? That's a good question that I have to ask myself as a leader. Am I gentle? And, and it's giving. <laughs> a mother is the most giving person that I can think of most of the time. I think of my own mother. I think of my own wife. And you think of the nursing of a child. You know, <laughs> men, I was so glad when my wife got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and took care of those needs for the baby. And, and it was sacrificial. It was uh, giving of themselves. But I think what Paul is trying to say, it's even more than that. It's more than time and, and being gentle. I think he's saying that a servant of a God is supposed to be vulnerable. <laughs> That's hard for men, to be vulnerable and transparent. And you want people that minister to you and preach the gospel to be vulnerable and transparent because then they're real. And then you can connect. And I want that. And I hope you see that in your ministers. And I hope you are that way in your ministry as well. Sharing of our very selves. Not cold. And here comes one of those words that I love, austere. Austere, it means severe and strict and harsh. And often, that's how leaders are looked at in the church, as being severe and strict, and harsh. And often that comes from thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to. May that not be in our church. May we be gentle. May we be giving of ourselves. The next thing, and the fourth point, is that the calling of God, this, this appeal that we do uh, as ministers, uh, it comes from the calling of God. And that's why we labor in blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> that's, remember I talked about sacrifice? That's what ministry is supposed to be. And Paul says, remember. He can say to the Thessalonians as he writes this letter, remember how we were. I hope that we as pastors and ministers can say that. Remember how we were when we were among you, that we labored and that we worked hard. You know what? Pastors don't always have a reputation for working hard. In fact, a lot of pastors don't work hard. And, and that's not a good testimony to the Lord. And that's not for his glory. And it's not taking care of your people. Paul talks about working night and day. You know what? I like that picture. I can connect with that working night and day. Uh, I've been a bivocational pastor almost all of my adult years. I, I thought about that. You know, I... I worked as a carpenter all those years at Wheaton College and did all the prison ministry that I did through Wheaton College. And at the same time, God allowed me to be a pastor in different uh, settings. And so I love the picture of Paul as a tent maker. That was hard work making tents. They probably had big callous thumbs and fingers from making those tents and probably had bruised hands. 
And Paul, they talk, talk about him being a little bow-legged guy that had knobby knees and spent a lot of time on his knees, but I'll bet he had strong hands because he worked hard. I love that picture. When I was, the first time I was a pastor, I was in Alabama. And I was at a very small rural church. And everybody in the church was either a farmer, chicken farmer, uh, they were uh, electricians and carpenters, and, and some of them were loggers. And so my ministry in that church was shoveling chicken manure, uh, taking down trees, building buildings alongside the people in the church. And there was something about that that the men in that church had a different view of a pastor that would work that way and would work hard. And so I'm not saying every pastor should do that, but every pastor should be a hard-working person that labors night and day. Pastors are on call 24-7, like a lot of you are. I understand that. So uh, I love the idea of, of working as unto the Lord and then preaching at the same time. And he says not to be a burden. They didn't demand payment. I think they knew that people were poor and that people were needy and people were possibly out of work. And I think they were very careful, understand this, I think they were very careful not to connect the good news of Jesus Christ to the payment of money. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to be careful about that. Yes, the church should give. I understand that the church should tithe. I understand that. But I think Paul when he came to new Christians, wanted them to understand that you don't get the gospel of Jesus Christ by paying money. And that they didn't need to pay him because he didn't want to be a financial burden to them. What a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture of the heart of God. And all the while proclaiming the good news. What a model that is for today. Work hard. Don't be a burden. Preach the gospel. That's our calling. The fifth thing, the holiness of God. Part of this, why we can make an appeal and God is our source is the holiness of God. The holiness of God is why our behavior is blameless towards you. First of all, I hope we can make that statement. You know, pastors are obviously not perfect and we... we we sin against people sometimes, and we need to confess that. But the holiness of God is the expectation. I've probably told you this before, but be ye holy, for I am holy. As a new Christian, I had a habit that meant that I wasn't controlled by the Holy Spirit. I was being controlled by something else. And one morning when I was in my pickup truck and I was headed to hang siding all day, I flipped my Bible open to 1 Peter and came to those words, be ye holy for I am holy. And I realized that I couldn't be controlled by the Holy Spirit and alcohol at the same time. What I didn't understand at that time was that was a bigger picture than that. <laughs> when God called me to holiness, it wasn't just to give up bad habits. He called me to be set apart. That's what holiness means. To be useful for the gospel. 
that was the picture. And, you know, it just hit me this week as I was thinking about that. It was a way bigger picture than stop doing this. The picture is that God has called all of us to holiness. Purity set apart for ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the call on all of our lives, every one of us. That was in 1975 when God did that. He says, you, he's talking to the people now, you are witnesses to our devotedness, our uprightness, our blameless conduct. And he says, people are watching and listening. Sometimes we're, we're in meetings, even at the church, and it gets a little rambunctious in there, and I shut the door. Because I don't want people to hear sometimes what we're saying. And, you know, it's become a little bit of a joke. The guys, and it's a little a bit of a control, too. They say, oh, be, be careful, Dave's going to shut the door. And, and you know what? What this is saying is that not only are people listening, God's listening. Doesn't matter how many doors you shut, God is listening. So our behavior is to be holy because people are watching and listening, but God is watching and listening. Not only is God our witness, think about a courtroom, God's not only just a witness, He's the judge. He's the judge. That's for people who minister at every level. And the last point, point six, the nature of God. I love the picture of God as a father. And I said the nature of God is why we bid you and beg you like fathers, verses 11 and 12. You see, God's nature is to be a father to his children. Have you, have, do you understand that? It took me a long time to come to a point where I understood that God was a father to me, a real father. Galatians 4, 6 says, and because you are sons and daughters, those are my words, but that's what the text means, because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. God is our father. I've told you about the words of Brennan Manning that I read out of a book called Ruthless Trust. There's a, a sentence in there, and I've got it highlighted, and then when I need to, I go back to it. It says that God the Father has tender feelings for you. Man, the first time I read that and actually let it sink in, phew, it was overwhelming. God is a father. <laughs> By the way, if you want to make a distinction between what we talked about earlier, do we, earlier, do we worship the same God as... Muslims and Jews do. Well, the Muslims would tell you that God is not a father. Our God is a father. A father that loves us with all of his heart and has tender feelings towards us. So, he goes on and says, we exhort each one of you. You know what the word exhort really literally means? It means to come alongside of you and to help each of you. And I had to think about that. Do I come alongside the people in this church to encourage them? Do you come alongside 
one another, to encourage, uh, to exhort. That's the word exhort means to come alongside. And, and I thought about, man, what a high calling that is to, to come alongside a brother or a sister and to continually encourage them and say, you know, Tom, <laughs> amazing things you've done with the worship here. Praise God. I, I think I've done that for Tom. But have I done that? Do I come alongside of everybody to do that as a minister? Do we do that for one another? And the word encourage literally means the same thing. Come alongside. We encourage you to walk worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. This means that I'm supposed to come alongside of you and encourage you and stimulate you toward holiness. Now, what do you think the name of the Holy Spirit is? Somebody in here knows that. The word is, in Greek, is paraclete. It means the helper that comes alongside. That's the calling of people that minister. We're to be like the Holy Spirit. We're to come alongside people and encourage them and stimulate them and exhort them. What a high calling that is for elders and pastors and everybody. I'm just going to close with asking six questions this morning. You might want to write them down. They're pretty brief. You don't have to, but I have to ask myself these questions as I preach, and I have to confess where I've come short. Question number one, is there a boldness in your witness for God? Second question, do you have a bent, a desire to share the gospel? Be honest with yourself. Thirdly, are you gentle and giving of yourself when you minister? Fourthly, are you willing to labor and toil for the Lord? That means to work hard. Fifth, is your conduct holy and blameless? Not only toward God, but toward other people. And the last question, will you, do you, come alongside, brothers and sisters, to encourage them and strengthen them? Let's pray. Father, you're the source of all of these things. They don't come from us, they come from you. I pray this morning that you have challenged us personally, each one of us, to serve you according to these standards, Lord. Most of all, for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this morning. Amen.